Welcome to Vision Magnified. We are a podcast that showcases the blind community living limitlessly. Breaking barriers and smashing stereotypes. Proving that we are more than just our disability. Happy Thriving Thursday, everyone, and welcome back to Vision Magnified. Today, we'll conclude Lorza's story with part two of A Mother's Battle. Before we get into the episode, I just want to say thank you all for listening and for sticking with us while we get used to my schedule. Um, And hopefully we will resume weekly episodes very shortly. Thanks so much. Now let's get into our podcast. And so all of those, um, the soundproofing and the flooring, that's all stuff that they do for you? Or do you have to pay for that out of pocket? No, he, uh, the the organisations help and support my son because he's not independent. Um, mm. They uh, their manager, the original manager of that uh, company, and um, he managed to get some funding from somewhere I don't know where um, to get the soundproofing in. Um, we had to go through um, what's called the Scottish Welfare Fund here where you can get all your flooring and all that type of thing in and you get all your white goods, so like your washer, your uh, cooker, your tumble dryer if you need one because mm-hmm. uh, he's got continence needs so um, those are prioritised for people that have those type of needs mm-hmm. um, and um, anything else out with those things you have to pay for yourself um so like i keep saying to them like you've got to bear in mind now that he has got bills he's got cost of living he has got you know things that he needs to have within his home all the time for example um continent supplies ppe for the carers that are in there helping him and pretty much none of that's covered Mm. so that i mean out of his money, because I have um, guardianship, power of attorney, um, both aspects, because he's not able. And I'm saying to them, you know, there's like about £70 out of his money that's paying for continent supplies and all that kind of a thing. Now, PPE is different. Um, I've said that I believe that PPE should be provided in the household. Um, But at the moment... um, his money's paying for that too. Oh wow! That's. So I, I feel that's, like their job should supply it. Like the carers' um, company should yeah. supply that because it's like work equipment. Yep. Yeah. Well, I said that to them. So I said that to them a couple of days ago, and they're going to try and do it because he needs like um, without going into his personal stuff, he needs certain continent supplies and wash wipes, uh, disposable wash wipes, and um, sterile uh, medical grade gloves. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that, so one box of gloves, um, I think they keep in the kitchen, and one box of gloves, I believe they keep in the bathroom. So for personal care, there's separate gloves for that, and then there's separate gloves for food preparation and stuff like that, and cleaning. And um, those have to come out of my son's money too. Um, so I said to them just the other day there, I said, you know, um, you guys need to um, try and provide those things. The, mm-hmm. I get um, his um, contents uh, things um, from, uh, I just got a bulk buy from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I get both. He needs them every couple of months. 
and because of the age and size he is, um, a lot of the products that you can get from the hospital no longer fit him, and the ones that do, he won't wear. And it's an autistic thing. You probably know yep. about Samber, which is if they change, they're not having it. <laughs> yep, yep, no, it, it, it textures, all the uh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, so mm -hmm. it's not happening. So I have to buy them for him through, like, his money's all split up into various different things that, you know, different avenues. Um, so he, I have... Um, control of all his money but then i had to set up a separate account with a separate card so that the carers can access a certain amount of money for anything that he needs on a day-to-day -day basis out with shopping and out with his bills which uh, i do mm -hmm. um so that plus trying to save up some money because he wants to go on holiday i'm like oh my god i need to be a millionaire <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's just crazy um but like i say um this some of the things that technically they can provide only works if you don't have a kid or an adult that's very particular about certain things like what they put on their body or mm -hmm. what they're washed with yeah yeah that's you would think that and see that's the thing is so here with stuff like that even though like they they might go the medical insurance might go oh you know we don't usually provide that but here, let's have your doctor write this letter explaining why they need that, and then they submit it to the insurance. and And they might deny it; they might approve it, but it's never a a guarantee. But at least that is available, so that they possibly could be like, "Okay, yeah, we can do this." I mean, they, technically, um, the hospital is called the Con Continence Supply do provide things like, um, uh, you know, uh, pads or, 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 or um, what do you call them, or nappies or things like that. Um, mm. But um, he won't use them because they, he grew up with a certain type and yeah. a fit. And obviously, as he's grown up and got older, um, he, there's only certain ones that he'll use. And unfortunately, they used to provide them through... Um, the hospital they used to those particular ones but then they cut back on some things and uh, th those are one of the ones that they stopped that doesn't seem like something they should be cutting back on and now it's, it's a certain type of uh continence uh, right. thing so it's not that they don't provide any it's just that the type they do provide he won't use yeah well my question is is if even if they won't provide those anymore I mean, maybe they could still, because I'm sure they get a wholesale account somewhere. Like, it'd be, it's, it's a shame that they can't just be like, okay, well, your son wants these. Well, if you pay for them, we'll get them at our rate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That would make sense, but <laughs> it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes you think things and you're like, well, why isn't this a thing? And they're like, oh, well, just because money and uh, this department and that department. And you're like, you know, it's it's. There's always something where they can't right. do something, or it would make too much sense to do something in a way where you think, well, that would make common sense, and they're like, well, yeah, common sense is not always a factor when it comes to these things, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> As we all know too well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so in the now, you guys are in separate homes. He's in his home with support twenty four seven, and then you're in your home, correct? Yeah. And how has this changed? How has this this change affected both of you? It's weird. Um, like, 
Uh, we've always been together since he was born, obviously, and um, it's weird. But at the end of the day, um, the reason why I originally wanted him to have his own home in the long run, not the way this has happened, because like evictions and everything take a lot of stuff out of your control that way, like, you know, time frames and stuff, um, because, well, I'm not going to live forever. And um, I wanted him to be eventually in his own home where I'm not there 24 seven because God forbid anything happened to me. He would not know where he was at. He just would be like, what the heck's going on? And it would be worse for him. So the consensus was um, when he hit a certain age, that was eventually going to be something I looked at anyway. But the eviction side of things meant that that all was a bit of a crazy carry on. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that some people would, who, who don't know a whole lot about, um, disabilities or who don't, you know, know any better, maybe, um, might ask, well, why not, you know, do a, a group home or a care home, assisted living, rather than going through all of this trouble, trying to find a full on house. Because, um, the way I've always looked at it is, um, sometimes residential settings work for some people you know sometimes that does work for some people and for some families and the individual who has the disabilities or vulnerabilities but for my son's needs um he just would not uh he'd be miserable in that type of environment he likes to have what he classes as his own domain if you like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so it's only fair that he has that just because of the needs he has, even though they are quite profound needs, um, he's got the right to have his own home, you know? So that's how I felt about it. And, you know, unless I ever come into money where I could build a, a home spec to need, you know, um, what they give you, um, private renting is just not a thing. It's far too expensive. You can't mm. do what you need to do to the property. There's no longevity. There's no safeguarding. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. at some point in time, something could happen where you lose your home out with your control. Um, so social housing was the only way of making sure that, number one, he wouldn't have a rent to pay because he gets uh, his rent paid for him. Um, but he obviously still has his bills and everything, which is um, what a lot of his money's gone on and his personal living and stuff. But the way I look at it is that um, it's not um, living the way, like him having his own home, it works for him. It's what he um, prefers rather than he would not like uh, that type of environment. Although, like I say, it might be suitable for other people, it wouldn't be for him. Right. So how does he feel about you living in a different house from him? Does he understand the changes that, that are taking place or what's going on with your health? Yeah, um, it's taken a while, but um, I think when it first happened, and I mean, I really wasn't well after my surgery. It took me till like probably, I don't know, a good bit into this year to be right. And... Um, he knew I hadn't been well, and he also knew because they were, it was very difficult. He kept 
wanting to go back to our original home, like mm -hmm. where he'd been for 12 years, and he just could not understand why that was our home for 12 years, and all of a sudden he can't go there anymore. And although we were trying to break it down to in a way he could understand it, I think he understood it, but he didn't get it. You know, mm -hmm. like landlords and evictions are way over his head. It was just a case of the only way we could get it across to him was to say, you know, the people that um, pay pe the pennies for this house want to move back into the house again is what we said to him because the rest of it was too complicated for him to understand. We had to be, put it on layman's terms to him, if you like, mm -hmm. because the, the actual facts of what was going on with the property were far too complicated. The actual facts of what was going on with the landlords were far too complicated for him to comprehend. So that's what we said. And it got to the point where he was understanding it, but he still just didn't, he just wanted to go back home. He kept saying, I want to go back home because that's where he knew his home. And so it took a long time. It took him, I would say, till maybe, oh, probably just into early 2022 to really get his bearings together with a lot of things. And at first, when he first moved into the house he's in now, I kept my distance for a few weeks or so because I thought the very first thing he's going to say is he would want me to move back in with him or for him to move back in with me. And I know that he would have gone down that route. So I gave him the space and I spoke to him on uh, WhatsApp. And um, eventually it got to the point where his carers were saying, yep, he completely understands that, he completely gets it. And although he still um probably misses aspects of his old life um he um gets it and it is kind of in his own way understanding certain things so now i'm able to go over to his house and pop in and spend time with him and drop his shopping off and you know have a bit of a joke with him and stuff have a cuppa with him or whatever and he's totally fine when i leave um, that was the problem I was worrying about, that when I went to leave after visiting, that he'd be like, mummy, stay, or can I come back with you, you know? Mm -hmm. It's hard, because although he's 25, he's biologically 25, his mental capacity is a lot younger. So, although he's an adult, um, he still has a young way of thinking at times. Yeah, um, and I, I can get how um, scary that might be to, like, go visit and be afraid of causing a meltdown or something really bad, you know? So I'm glad that it's turned out that he's okay with this change. It's tough. I mean, at the end of the day, there is, he will probably have to move again at some point because that property is not going to do him long term at all. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's a stopgap. He's safe and we've got it so that the place is um, safe. And there's some things that have to be done to it that um, I said have to be done unless they're going to find him a property in the next very short while, which is not going to happen because everything takes forever when it comes to local authority housing. Mm -hmm. So it's a case of um, working with what we have right now and making it work the best we can. And we have done wonders with the place, to be quite honest with you. Um, my plan is eventually to do a little video 
he won't see him in the video, but I'm planning on doing a little video that I might put on my own channel. And it will be, there'll be no indication of location. There'll be no indication of where it is. You will not see him in the videos, but you will see potentially um, the aspect of the inside of the house. So you'll be able to see the original video that I put up on my channel and then you'll be able to see what exactly has been done since then. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not a forever home, but it is a home that um, he has his own four walls and he's got his own um, safe spaces that he needs until such time as I can get him something that is going to be classed as what I would term as a long-term, like a forever place, you know? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud because I'm thinking if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking, okay, so these charities as well as his support company and, and you as well, you guys have all come together to make these homes habitable for your son. And then there's these evictions and then you guys get kicked out and have to leave. Um, but they keep everything that you guys have furnished in the property. And how is that that they can just evict you and not have to pay you for everything that you have done to make these places habitable? When you get offered a property by a housing association or a local authority, so such as a local council, um, you, um, if you start to do the place up, and then you deem it's not going to work out for any reason, then they can keep whatever you've done. So, um, like, when you put flooring down, you can't take the flooring with you. Um, if you put, um, if you do anything to the property, you can't take it with you. Um, or you get charged for it. That is so ridiculous. Because, in a sense, it's like these these uh, charities and whatnot come in, they do up the property, you get evicted, and they get a nicely furnished a property for the next person who may not have as severe a case. And mm -hmm. they get to make money off of the work that you and these uh, charities have done. Like, that just seems kind of underhanded to me. It's just the way they are. I mean, at the end of the day, um, like... The property that my son's in just now, when he eventually gets another property in the future, um, everything that's not his own belongings and not his own furniture and all that will have to be left behind. So that's all the flooring, everything. Now, um, the Scottish Welfare Fund paid for my son's flooring. and that, uh, So they did the carpeting and the wipe up of flooring throughout his whole house. But when he leaves that property, it doesn't matter how long it is in between, um, I can't take that flooring with him to the next place. I'd have to reapply to them or another charity for, oh, wow. the, for the flooring, which makes no sense, but that's how they are. Well, and now, does that include the, the stove and the washer and dryer as well? Does he get to keep no. those? Yeah, he gets to keep all those. It's okay. just the, like the things that you can't, like you can't move. So you can't, once your flooring's down, you can't, take um, you can't take it with you. But the white scoods, yes. So anything he gets that's movable. So mm -hmm. like washer, dryer, cooker, any of that comes with them. I mean, it just, it seems just so ridiculous because what if a charity is like, you know what? No, we've worked with this person before. They had their house for like a few months. They, the, who, however happened, you know, it didn't work out. And now they want us to help them again. Like, 
who's to say a charity wouldn't be like, no, we're not going to do this. So that could happen. Yeah, and that that's what just baffles me. It baffles me because it's like it's not your fault. It's not your son's fault. It's these people who are heartless, um, being neighbors and communities that are unkind and unfriendly and. It, it's these landlords that don't put a foot down and say, you know what, this family needs assistance and housing and we're going to give it to them. And if you don't like it, you can leave, you know, mm-hmm. um, because with you there, they have guaranteed rent with any other person. They can decide to default or cut and run or anything like that. Um, what they don't realize is that with you and your son or with your son's your son being there in the house, they have guaranteed rent that will always be paid. And that's really um, unintelligent of them to not realize that. I mean, when my son was, um, before he got into that property, he was on different benefits. So he was on um, employment, employment support allowance. That means you can't work, you're not able to, so you get this benefit. When you can no longer get, um, what was it now? Um, there was another uh, benefit he got before that when he was school age. Um, and then um, when he got to that age, um, he was on that plus his disability living money. Um, so he, he has um, funding for that. So anyway, before he got moved to where he is now, he had to be switched out into a thing called universal credit. And it's a bit of a nightmare, really. And um, they said in order for him to... And be able to be in his own home, he had to be on this particular benefit. So um, he was switched out onto it. He was left with five weeks without money, and I had to get an advanced payment from them, which they made him pay back. Oh, jeez. Um, so I'm like, I don't understand why you guys do this, because you've got a young man that's going into his first home, and you, the first thing you're trying to do is put him in debt. Right. Like Mm-hmm. Like, what sense does that make to anybody? So anyway, um, this came about um, uh, until he got his universal credit. So he got, um, uh, it was um, 300 and odd pounds or something advance payment. And um, it's taken him um, from last August till next month to pay it off. It sounds like what they do here when... Yeah. When you get an overpayment, even if it's not your fault, <laughs> I wasn't. It wasn't even an overpayment. It was the fact that um, when you switch your benefits, you they cut your other benefit off beforehand, Ugh. and then you don't get anything until they award you the new one. So that you've is got so space, ridiculous. You've got nothing. So I said, "Oh well, how is he supposed to live then?" Yeah. and they were like you can get an advance payment and I'm like all oh, right okay how do you go about that then well you'll get this but you'll have to pay it back um off of these we'll take it off his universal credit um every time his payment co- goes in we'll take it off of his off of his money mm. so, so ridiculous like, well, what was it supposed to do when you've got when he had no money to live off of because he only had his disability living allowance which he gets every four weeks so I had to set it up so his universal credit was going in two payments a month so he gets one payment every two weeks because you can't go a whole month when you've got bills coming out and stuff you you need to have staggered payments so i got that sorted out and they were like right okay well um we're going to take uh 29 pounds um we're going to take 29 pounds um every time your son's money comes in and then that'll be cleared uh on the 9th of october on 2022 
So you can't say no because, well, then what are you going to do until the money comes in? Right. It's crazy. That it is, is literally designed to put him in debt. Mm-hmm. But, however, we've got round it and he's got his last payment on the 9th of October and that's him clear. But I'm like, another thing as well is, I don't know if you guys get this where you are, is um, he, um, do you have a thing called council tax, which is like you're taxed for your property, like so water, sewage, that type of thing? Yes. Mm. Kind well, of. he, um, I got told when my son was 18, once he moves into his own place, because of the type of disability he has, he will be council tax exempt. Well, when he got that property, um, he got this big, huge bill when he moved into the house he's in now for a flipping God knows how much she wanted off of him. And I said, um, number one, and um, he's exempt. And they were like, well, we don't have anything saying that. So they were trying to get him to pay for backdated council tax. However, um, they, I got the exemption put in. Uh, but it, it was like they were trying to make out that they didn't know what I was on about. It's like, oh, um, well, we don't know anything about that. <laughs> Check your paperwork. Yeah. Um, I had to go to uh, benefits advisors and get people in, and not legal, but legal with to do with the, the benefits side. And they said he was exempt and it was backdated to when he moved into the property. So you have to watch them because they're sneaky yeah yeah because here if you're on public housing like so we're you know if, if you have an actual house you don't pay the property tax the water sewer and gar- uh, well you pay your garbage but you don't pay the water and sewer and the, and the property tax that's the owner that's the owner's job um to pay that uh, the only time you have to pay for those types of things usually is if you own the house yourself well here even if you rent a property you have to pay council tax Mm. wow so if you're in private rented or if you are in a social housing property you have to pay council tax and if, if you have got a severe disability that's documented and it has to be quite severe you will then get an exemption which you have to apply for. It's got to be stamped by your doctor to say that you have a long time, long, a long standing disability that uh, where the class is used quite severely disabled, and then you'll get an exemption. And that's what he now has. But um, it, took a bit, it took a bit of doing to get it, but he just got it now. Well, that's good. At least he has it now, and it, they can't take that away from him i know it's crazy though it's like it's like they try i've said to them you know like you're not making people that are trying to start out particularly people with vulnerabilities and disabilities life easy you're making it complicated and then things are coming out the woodwork that people might not be told about and then you get a sudden bill for something you're like oh what the heck's that for mm-hmm. and then they're left in a position where <clears throat> you might have somebody that's maybe not quite as vulnerable as my son. So maybe they can live on their own with support coming in, you know, so many times through the week or once a day to help them. But they maybe deal with some things theirself. And unless they've got somebody on board keeping an eye on certain things, they could get ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So easy. So um, are you worried about things like that for your son as he gets older? Um, Do you have things, I mean, you don't have to be specific, but... Do you have things in place to make sure that that won't happen 
Um, well, I have, like I say, I have um, full guardianship and power of attorney. So that's personal care and financial uh, safeguarding for him in place. I have also recently done a will where I have done some stuff that takes care of certain things too. And then I have also got a backup on the guardianship. So if anything ever happened to me physically or I was incapacitated mentally somehow where somebody said she's no longer got capacity, I would have somebody that would take over immediately from my uh, position, if that makes sense. Okay. So no matter what, he's always going to have somebody that can take the reins even if it's not me and something happens to me or I just get old and fuddled <laughs> <laughs> well that's good that's good that's a good plan of action and it's amazing what we have to learn as we go because there's no manual for this whether you are the mother of a disabled child or the disabled child there's no manual for this I mean you think it's hard being a parent in general or just being a person in general when you have something like this where you've got to maneuver um, your government, your like your local government or your um, state government or what have you, um, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and when you have to set about learning it, it can be very daunting. And from our talks, Laura's, I know that you have done a, a whole lot of education uh, for yourself to figure out what you need to do to advocate for your son's needs. And I really do um, commend you on how much you have fought in this situation because throughout our talks, it's been, you know, if you don't know something, you learn. Um, if you find something out, you know, you educate yourself even more, even further, um, not only about your rights um, as a, a person there, but for his rights, for your rights um, to um, the tribunals and um, counsel, and you've gotten, you know, a, you've done so much in this whole situation, and that's to be commended because a lot of people, a lot of parents would just kind of like go where the wind takes them, if you know, if you know what I mean, just kind of like, okay, well, the council said this, we should just do this, and well, this isn't the best situation, but we're going to make the best of it. But, mm -hmm. you know, the place is not really suitable or what have you. Like the fact that you have remained so steadfast and so strong in this situation, um, in this um, what is oftentimes like a really nasty fight, um, you know, you and parents like you um, should be commended because, yeah, it's your son or your daughter or what have you. Um, and, yeah, yeah, of course, as a parent, you're going to fight. But to have to learn like legalese or you know government jargon as you go that's a lot yeah I've, i think i've learned quite a lot as a, like when uh, what i knew or didn't know and this whole process started back in april 2018 uh legally to do with um housing and to do with um you know, councils and stuff like that. I mean, like, you learn a lot of things that kind of you think, well, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. And mm -hmm. then when somebody tries to palm you off or, and, or try and palm my son off, um, I can look back on some things and go, well, I know that that's not quite true or that's not quite the way it is, you know. Uh, you also have to learn to pick your battles. And I've learned that a lot as well as you're going along. You have to be very careful very careful um so you have to kind of um 
act accordingly, but at the same time, be very careful about your footing, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, because you don't want to burn a bridge you may need later. It's very difficult, I mean, particularly with my son's needs, because he's got such complex needs. So, I mean, for example, the way the council work is, if you say what's needed, they tell you to fill out a, an application form, which you do, and then you get a medical needs form. And then they've told me now that when a property is uh, matched up to a person, it goes by what's on, the, on their paperwork. It, it doesn't have all the bits and pieces. All it has is, for example, how many bedrooms is needed and the basic type of property that's needed and not much else. So the computer will generate match a person to a property. And then if you say to them, well, yeah, okay, that is this and this, but what about this, this and this about all the other things that's, you know, contributing factors to my son's needs? And they'll say, well, yes, well, but um, those particular things is what uh, the computer generate matches you with. So if I said, for example, this may, may, may meet my son's needs with regards to how many bedrooms there is or the fact that it's a detached property, well, what about the other things like sensory needs? What about spatial manoeuvrability in the property, the layout of the property um, based on what his needs are? And they, what I've been told from other people um, that are in other departments is that sometimes the way the council look at things is not quite the same as, for example, um, people that are doing the caring side of it because they take everything as very one-dimensionally, mm. that means it's very, very difficult then for you to be able to say, right, okay, well, my son, yes, you've given him this many bedrooms and this is the house itself, but none of the other things meet his needs. They'll then turn around and say, yes, but it does because it does on paper. Mm. Wow. So that's quite a hard one because it's very difficult to get through that, you know, that's a big mesh of mess, you know, as far as the way the things have been put together. And the way I said is, well, what's the point in filming a medical priority needs form if aspects of that medical needs form you've completely disregarded or are not looking at the bigger picture of said things because it's going to mean that in the long run you're potentially offering a property that actually doesn't suit the person's needs at all. Oh, jeez. It's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. Oh, uh, gosh. So what would you say to parents of any kind of a disabled child who might be in your situation, who might be facing um, eviction, homelessness, troubles? Um, what would you say to those parents? Um, know your rights for a start. Um, the first thing is when somebody gets what's called a notice to quit, on a property, a lot of times people will tell you that the date that's on that notice to quit is the date you have to vacate the property. It actually isn't. That is the date they can approach the, uh, the tribunal for a hearing to state that they want to put an eviction in against you to get you out of the property. Now, we found this out as we were going through the process. A lot of people think that the date on your notice to quit form is your ejection date, which it isn't. So I would say to anybody that's in this situation, do not panic if you get a notice to quit documentation out, even if it's all correct, but do get it checked by a legal, uh, you know, like a solicitor or somebody with a legal knowledge 
to make sure that that's correct, but even if it is correct, that to know that that is just the date that they can apply for an eviction to a tribunal. The process itself can take anywhere from three to five months. Um, so you have got a bit of time. But if you've got certain needs, the more information, the better. So medical stuff, uh, you know, uh, therapist letters, doctor's letters, uh, anybody that works with you or the person with a disability or vulnerability, or if you have that yourself and you're not quite sure how to go about it to get support to make sure that you get the right information over to uh, uh, the people. For example, if you're applying for a council property or, or such, um, the main thing to understand is that a lot of times you will not know all the information and um, that's how I had to find out a lot going along the road. And um, what I knew at the very beginning of this process was not a lot at all. I kind of didn't know a lot. And so it was just over the process of the months that was going on, I started digging mm -hmm. and I started finding some stuff out and I was like, oh, really, that's interesting. And then when I would put it to certain people, they'd be going, yeah, you know, your son has got that right. I've went to human rights. I've gone down the Human Rights Act. I've gone down the um, Equality Rights Act. I've gone down disability discrimination. That's a very difficult one, though, because you have to be very careful of that. And it's very, very hard to pull off mm -hmm. anything with the disability discrimination factor in it. You're better mm -hmm. go down a Human Rights Act direction or a Equality Rights Act. And that's that's really a, a tough path to um, to traverse because it's like you don't you don't I, I, I this is kind of my new model you don't my new motto you don't know what you don't know and so when something comes up and you think that might be the key to to fixing things you kind of go down that avenue and when it's a dead end you you get um, frustrated or you get discouraged and it's I'm sure it's difficult but. You just kind of have to keep going, too. It is. It's hard. I mean, like, there were some days that I was just mentally and physically <clears throat> done in, you know. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, like, I don't know how much more I can handle of this going down the same thing after the same thing. You felt like you were talking to a brick wall sometimes. Like, you'd get one person say, yeah, contact this people and say this. They'll definitely be able to make the council see this or whatever. And then you go to them and they're like, oh, well, it doesn't work like that. Or, oh, no, we've got this policy that gets around this policy. So basically, yeah. I got told anyway by a surveyor that actually came out to my son's house. And he says the trouble with the council and a lot of uh, things to do with the council is they have got loopholes for everything. And uh, the way they look at things is... Uh, if anything falls into the tolerable standard category, they can let it out. So just be very mindful of that. And like I had as an example, when my son got offered the property, um, there was a few things going on that I wasn't happy with. And uh, so I got, um, the, the council said, oh, we'll get an inspector to come round, a council inspector to come round. I said, okay, fine, fair enough. He came round, but unbeknown to them, I had gone through legal channels and with legal aid, which gives you the uh, well, fund for a solicitor or lawyer to um, help you. I got a, a private surveyor to come in and he went in half an hour after the council inspector went in. Council inspector said everything was great. 
no problems and the surveyor went in behind him and drafted a 15 page document wow so yeah the way the surveyor said to me is the council are trying to uh get around dissuade or uh kind of make you see that oh yeah just do this or just do that and there's not a problem whereas we come in and we are looking at the things and we we're looking at what's causing a problem so there was cracks up the side of the house there was a moving window frame and the outside like it was the whole frame was moving mm. oh wow uh, um there was mold uh there was a bunch of different things and um they basically, the inspector that came in and he was like, um, no, that's fine. And he said, um, as far as the mould goes, he said, um, well, the previous tenant um, obviously didn't open their windows if they were dry and washing inside. And the inspector, so that was what the council guy said. And the surveyor was like, uh, no, it's the type of property it is. Um, so, you know, like... You have to be very careful. So you have to kind of know. You can challenge them if there is things that aren't right. The council don't like it. But if you have somebody that can come out and provide something in a document form, they have to look at it. Mm -hmm. And what would you say like to parents like you who don't get much sleep? They're just kind of still battling through it. Um, trying to communicate with their child um, when it gets frustrating sometimes? I mean, like, push for support, push for help. Like I say, at the end of the day, I think some parents are frightened that if they say, I'm exhausted, I can't cope type of thing, I need a break, I need a hand, that they're going to take their kids off them or something. There Mm -hmm. seems to be this kind of a concept of, if I ask for help, they're going to see me as weak and they're going to see me as you can't cope anymore. Therefore, we're taking your kids. It doesn't work like that. Um, It's hard to get support, but if you kick up enough hell about it, usually um, you'll get eventually get to the point where something will be done. It took a lot for our situation to become where we did start getting that support. And um, it's not as easy as it sounds because you probably know this as well, Amber, depending on your kids, uh, you know, some people don't, some kids or adults don't like strangers coming in the house. It takes them months or weeks to get to know somebody. They have a routine so that if that routine's broken or Mm -hmm. it's altered in a way where new people are involved, it's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, especially like my kids, like if any you know adult comes in they are very apprehensive about that and um yeah they, it, it, it's definitely a thing so i i want i want to kind of break in here real quick and just ask um the people who provide uh your son's support it's very hard not to use his name <laughs> so i have to stop myself um so the people who come in to help your son um do, they're they're of course specially trained to deal with um, autistic children, children who have sens- sensory needs. Like they all have different specialities, correct? Like specialties that they can do. Yeah. Well, what it is is um, it, 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 it What it, they try and do is match the people that are coming in to support with the individual. So basically, it's by personality. It's by 
maybe a person's demeanor so if you've got somebody that's a bit uh, brash and maybe a bit um forthright or a bit too in your face and somebody that is needing the support doesn't care for that approach or will get freaked out if they have that kind of approach uh, directed towards them they will not put somebody with that type of approach in the situation so in the situation with my son it's a case of um he he does not like people that go at you like a freight train he does not like he likes people to be direct with them but not in a um in a calm mm-hmm. uh sort of jovial manner if you like Mm-hmm. So not severe, not harsh, yeah. Yeah, uh, because if you try to go in that way with him, he just he just um, recoils, you know. He's yep. like, no, thank you, go away, time to go now, you know. he. The thing about him is he's got a really decent communication vocabulary now, um, and he that goes in his favour, so you can sit down and talk with him, but he is on a quite a young-minded level still, but you can have a conversation with them and you can, if you direct it in a certain way and you use um, certain methods of communication with them, he usually responds relatively well to them. And when he's going to have his days where he has off days and he's going to have his days where he maybe doesn't want company or he does want company more, but um, they take it at his pace. They never are in his face. They ask him when he wants um, to have company in the same, you know, in his sort of hangout room. Do do you want you know Do you want us to be in the room with you? And he'll be like, okay, or no, thank you, or yes, for so many minutes or however long. So yeah. it it's kind of um it's um client led if you like. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because any like support that well here in the states it seems like they and I don't know if you're familiar um, with the ABA model for for autistic. Um, you know, basically trying to change their behaviors. That's what they always want to do here when I've you have. That. And like, for example, my kids, that that's not going to fly with them because they're not going to take to somebody being because that is that's the in your face, very harsh. And they're yeah. not going to take like to don't that. rock, don't flap, don't stem, like yeah. don't stem, do not stem. You, you stop that, you know? Yeah. I know about that. I mean, see, the thing is, right, when my son was younger, um, his stimming that he did when he was younger, it was a little bit different than what he is now. So when he was younger, he was quite tall for his age, but he's now pushing six foot three. Um, He's a tall lad and he jumps and stims. So you can imagine a six foot three, although he's slim, a six foot three young man jumping around. um, It's... uh, you know, a lot different than say a five year old doing it. It's you know, it's it's um he can he can move the house sometimes sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know what I mean? Like um but um anytime anybody's ever come in to support him, you know, when he was young he used to have um, people that, you know, he'd go to um what they call um what do you call them now? Um play schemes where he would go out for the day with supporters and stuff like that. When he was younger, they would take him out for the day or whatever. And um, nobody ever tried to stop that. But I did say to one uh, organisation that we're going to be working with them, and I said that I wasn't happy because basically that was one of their ethoses. 
And I was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an individual. He's got the right to express himself. That's how he is. It's sensory. And um, if you try and prevent that, then you get professionals sometimes and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, you need to try and prevent him swimming. And it's like, it's an outlet. If you try and stifle an outlet, you're going to have a very unhappy person. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't make sense to me because, like, it's never made sense because um, when we, like, you know, swear or when we sigh or when we you know, do things like that's a quote unquote normal stem. It's a way of releasing stress, letting that out. When somebody is um, autistic and needs to actually stem to release um, emotion or frustration or whatever, that's the way that they do what what a quote unquote regular person would stem or they would like or whatever, you know, like they would make a make a noise or do something like, I mean, everyone stems if you really think about it well in some com- in some communities even that is uh, looked down upon don't 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 make that noise don't talk to yourself don't squeak don't you know uh i mean that is that's ridiculous because yeah, it is who, who doesn't like I, i'm sure that when you're tired you sigh it's an automatic thing um i think that's looked at as talking back or or getting an attitude um in in some communities and and that's what's unfortunate um you know because even that like the parent was brought up that way so you know they don't know any differently so that's how they're treating the kid but a kid with autism you know that's not gonna work but i mean i don't I'm, i'm hoping that anything like support in the states would not be that bad and that um because I, I don't know about how support is in the States. And the reason that I'm asking Laura's what I'm asking is because I don't know that your kids wouldn't be um, candidates for some kind of support. Mm. Um, and I would imagine that if you say I don't want, you know, certain methods used with my children, that they would have to respect that. Um, and I would imagine that there would, because they're looking at new methods of how to work with autistic children, I would hope that there would be somebody who would be able to provide support who was not um, so stern or so staunch in their beliefs. That it's a process. It's a process, and, and in the states, it has to do with money. You know, because insurance here is money, mm-hmm. um, and all of the insurance companies immediately want to. ABA is covered, but other therapies are not covered. Um, for example. And so if you don't take this thing they give you, there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy and prior authorizations and all of these other things that need to go before they'll even consider another type of therapy. I think a lot of times as well that I find too, and I always stick up um, for my son and other people where I'll say, you need to stop making about what you feel is socially acceptable mm-hmm. in society. You should be concerned about what makes this individual happy. You know what makes them tick. What are, what makes them happy or unhappy? Mm-hmm. Not what you feel is socially acceptable or not acceptable in society. That yes. is that's not their cross to bear. Like at the end of the day, everybody's individual, and you should be allowed to be an individual. And because you have got vulnerabilities or disabilities, 
you should be allowed the same thing. You know, it's it, it's it's pretty much as cut and dry as that, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I think that when they try to make it about that, that's the problem. Yep, right. absolutely. And the thing is, uh, in the States, I don't know if it's the same, uh, but like, you know, there you have people of a certain generation handling all of this stuff. And people of that generation are of the understanding children should be seen and not heard. You need to obey your parent no matter what they say. If you, it, No, it's not your disability. It's bad parenting. Um, you know, even having, you know, two rooms for, you know, child sensory and they're, they're sleeping. Like, that's consider it that's a luxury that's the kid the kid doesn't need that they need to just have what all the other kids have and that's a lot of our problem here it's crazy i mean at the end of the day it's like you know a lot of times i find with my son as well is like um he needs to be able to have the ability to calm himself down or um be in an environment that makes him happy and because of his sensory needs sometimes the atypical if you like environment that people are expecting their kids to be in whether they're young or older Mm -hmm. doesn't sometimes float with our kids because Mm -hmm. you know they they need uh different things like i've said as well I, i i said to somebody not that long ago schools should have um all schools should have um spaces that allow for sensory um decompression absolutely we've got we've got some of them and i'm like no you don't you use those for time out that's not the same thing right it's not or if the kid gets up to go use that space they're not reprimanded and get back in your seat what are you doing why are you getting up again well my thing is is that we need, I think that we need to realize that we need to start looking at disabilities, um, not just when they're severe, but when they can mm-hmm. be mild. Because how many people are discovering that they're neurodivergent nowadays? How many people are discovering that they have some sort of sensory condition or anxiety, whether it be social or generalized? How many people are discovering that they have ADD, ADHD, um, mm-hmm. You know, how many people are discovering all of these things nowadays? Um, do I believe it could be like chemicals put in food? Sure, it could be. However, I also believe that we, for a lot of years, did not um, acknowledge a disability unless it was so severe it couldn't be, couldn't be hidden. It had to be looked at or, or you know, done, something had to be done something about it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that Lors is really on to something with the... Uh, the sensory places because, okay, I'm gonna take it back. When I was in preschool, if we had a, if we were sitting on the carpet and having carpet time or story time or song time or whatever, and there was a child that just couldn't stop fidgeting or messing around, they would tell that child to go um, in the library and have a lie down on the little beanbag that was there. And um, the the goal for that is that if they needed to fidget, if they needed to kick, if they needed to do whatever they would not be bothering anybody because they're on a soft surface and, you know, they're not, they're not bothering anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they needed to be vocal, they would just put a, a teacher in there to, to um, just watch the child and they would close the door for the rest of the class. Like, 
I'm sorry, but I don't think that that should ever go out of fashion. Like, no matter how old you are. Even mm-hmm. if you just need it. Like, sometimes I would say, you know, can I go to the restroom? And they would give me a hall pass, and I would just walk around and be out of class. Because it got to be too much. But there's no sensory outlet in, you know, after you leave kindergarten. Right. So, um, Laura, any final thoughts before we go? I think just overall, like, general spaces these days are, like, they're noisier, they're busier. Like, shopping centres. I said the other day that I was going into the shopping centre and somebody asked me, about a survey for the shopping centres or anything you'd like to see. And I says, well, yeah, I said, um, there's nowhere for people to go. Um, it can be mild as hell even, you know, like if somebody's having a tough time sensory-wise, that there's a space they can go to. Um, if you're in the middle of a shopping mall and you have like a sudden um, sensory overload, you're stuck, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. There should be some place where or several spaces actually in a big place where that you know where a parent or a person with sensory needs or whatever that feels like something suddenly come over them and think oh my gosh i'm overwhelmed they can go into that space it's private and they can calm themselves down or redirect them you know their their sensory needs until they feel comfortable to go back out and outside um so schools shopping centers other places public places um, should definitely be looking at things like that because at the end of the day, it is becoming more and more, more and more people are being diagnosed with different things, not just autism, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. where they, they, there's there's not enough need, um, sorry, there's not enough supply for need, if you like. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for everything, like, you know, housing, um, updating schools updating shopping centers you know some um, places around here do what they call um um autism friendly hour or something where they dim the lights down lower they turn off the tannoys that's another thing because mm-hmm. uh, that's another thing my son doesn't handle is when they st- try to communicate over the tannoys when they i'm sorry when they wait when they do what you know when um you're in a, a shopping a mall or something and then people are speaking over oh like um, the loudspeaker and stuff yeah 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 okay mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. not he he doesn't he can't handle that at all you know and well yeah and and some people can't um you know they, they'll say oh well just wear headphones everywhere you go what if you're autistic and blind yeah and i mean do that yeah exactly <laughs> And well, my thing is, is I'm 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 seeing sp- sensory spaces starting to pop up. Like I know we have two in our airport. Um, there's a couple of airports that have them. I wish that uh, more people would adapt this because yeah, it can be a lot. It can um, when you think about all of the different things that you're experiencing sensory wise, um, experiencing in a grocery store. You have smells, you have sights, you have, you know, audio, audible uh, sensory things going on. You have um, temperature changes. Uh, there's just a lot of different things that you experience when you're just taking a quick trip to the grocery store. And um, as I have realized more and more that I may be neurodivergent, I do not go into a grocery store unless I can stay on the edges. Like, I mean, customer service to grab quarters, pharmacy to grab medicine, out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like going 
actual shopping um, because it's it's too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have then you have to maneuver this shopping cart around. And if somebody bumps you uh, or you're afraid of bumping somebody or whatever, it's like it's a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of sensory overload. And I just prefer not to deal with it. And though I've done it in the past because, you know, you have to because that's the adult thing to do. I'm really glad that they do have certain things like home delivery. Unfortunately, that is not a viable thing for everybody because of living uh, locations and stuff like that. Um, And cost. Yeah, and cost. But I'm also glad that there are slowly, slowly there are spaces coming about. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have those there in Scotland where you have like just sensory spaces at all? Um, There is some, but like I say, this is why I said to the lady in the shopping mall the other day, I said, you know, um, they keep rotating different shops around and popping up new shops, taking other shops out, and a million cafes and a million this and the next thing, yet there's not anything like that. You know, I said, this day and age, there is many people that would benefit from that. I said, you know, because it's so hard. I remember when my son was young, um... At the time, I could take him to the shopping centre, but he had to wear um, headphones with music playing or a story tape in or something. Mm-hmm. And um, there was the odd time when he was young that he'd have an episode and I would be like, crap, how am I going to deal with this? I'm right in the middle of a shopping centre. And it's very, very um, hard to find that little space where you can get away from all this stimulus when you're in that environment. So I think it would be really good if they started doing more things like that so that um, if you're caught off guard, particularly if you're a single parent, then um, you can think, all right, okay, I can just nip in here and just let them kind of decompress. Right. And and especially like in a big store, like um, here we have Walmart. Um, That is a... That is a sensory overload uh, immediately upon arrival. And you can tell because, you know, you hear children crying and, and melting down. And, you know, if if there was a little space, you know, where you could take your kid and just be like, OK, let's calm down and, and, and it'll be good. You know, no matter what, you know, what disability or not that they have, honestly, profit-wise, it keeps you, you, you're in the store. You're not taking, right. you're not leaving. You're not just dumping a full cart full of food and walking out of the store. Mm-hmm. Like, if they had a space, you just, boop, turn it off into this room and then chill yep. out and then go back to doing your shopping. And it's different than um, just going into the bathroom because a lot of people will say, well, just go into the bathroom. It, there's sensory overloads there. There's hand dryers, faucets, people running in and out. Um, it echoes even more, so the acoustics are not great. Um, People complaining that you're in in the stall too long. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, it, you know, a space for a decompression um, session. A decompression session would work. I mean, you just take your cart and your child and, or yourself and just go into that room and mm-hmm. just chill out for a bit. And then when you fill up to it, just go to the checkout and get out of there versus yep. just leaving a bunch of groceries that are now... Um, wasted because you can't put food back and and you know at least you're saving your customer you're saving your um, product and you're still making money so well thank you so much for joining us this week Laura's I really really appreciate it thank you for telling us your story and being so candid thank you for having me yes thank you 
for listening to the podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time. You can find us as Vision Magnified Official on TikTok and Instagram. And on Twitter as VMO Podcast. See you next time.